welcome to State of the Revolution. This is a podcast. My name is Ricky. I am filling in tonight for Benjamin. Uh, The topic of this podcast tonight is essentially revolutions. Um, Today is the 13th of January 2021, um, and the last episode of this podcast, uh, we confronted something going down at the Capitol um, that people are calling an attempted coup. Um, This week, um, we are... I, the, the trouble with this is that we actually have to describe what actually happened last week because, which we don't usually norm, do that, right? Um, we don't have to, we never have continuity between episodes, right? So I have a little bit of notes about what happened last episode, so. I have some thoughts this. on how we could open it. Okay, tell me. So I was thinking like something like, hello listeners, welcome to State of the Revolution, and today is January 13th. On January 6th, the world was roiled in controversy after watching a group of white supremacists breached the legislative body of the United States in probably the first moment in national history where this has happened. Tonight's episode, we are going to be going back in time to talk about some of the factors that led to this giant coming out party for the American right and ways that the American right wing has become more militant and organized in the past 50 years. Okay, so that was our DC correspondent, Jonah, uh, joining us for the second week in a row to talk about whatever the fuck happened last week in DC. Um, I am Ricky, I'm here with Jonah, Alex, I'm filling in for Ben myself, and um, we have a special guest tonight, which is a correspondent from Chicago, which is a good friend of mine, Bree, Brianna Finnegan. Brie is an activist, an artist, and educator in Chicago, but that is not why I brought her on the show tonight. Um, and I've been really struggling with how to do this introduction. I have wanted Brie to come on the show for literal the whole time that I've been here because I don't um, know anyone who uh, knows anything about politics as intensely as Brie knows about just like insane white people. <laughs> In politics, and um, a couple of times over the few years, I've been like, I want to have Ben or I want to have Bree come on the show to I don't know talk about the Turner Diaries or something. But I've been like, you know what? It's not timely. It's not really timely right now. Let's just table that. I think a couple of months ago, I was thinking, man, I wish they had Bree on the show like whenever the last thing happened. I'm like, we missed our chance. This shit's over. There's not going to be any you more. You never times. miss a chance when you bet on white supremacy. <laughs> No, There's not going to be another do. another good time to talk about militias on the podcast. I fucked up. Feels like a real monkey's oh. paw situation. And then each time we have to talk about militias, it's bigger than the last. Yeah. Um, Might be a so problem. L- luckily for everybody, <laughs> luckily for everyone in America, this podcast gets to bring Breon to discuss uh, what I've been calling a long history of, of white supremacist militias in the U.S., but is really a medium history. Um... And I want to come back to Jonah's introduction, which I think was great. It was very skillful. But um, I sort of disagree, right? Um, maybe I disagree. These are the things we're going to talk about today, tonight, right? Was this a coming out? Are they more organized than they used to be? Um, for me as a historian, I keep asking, is this continuity with what happened in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Or is this a breach when it comes to militias? So for a little context, um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at DC in a second, um, but for more about my, since I'm the host, this is my show today, um, mom put, it, put me in charge and everybody has to listen, um, I feel like 
uh, for the past many years, and maybe I've said this on this pod, but um, I've definitely said this to all of my friends, and I know Brie is the same way. Uh, people, you know, you turn on the TV, you turn on Twitter, and people are like, I literally have never even heard about militias before in my life. I have never would have thought about any of this. Where are they coming from? Uh, and so I've been bitching for many years since the Trump thing started happening that nobody cares about the 90s, right? That's what I've always said. Nobody remembers what it was like in the 90s, right? Um, which... Personally, as uh, having grown up in kind of central Michigan, as well as adjacent to the thumb, uh, Timothy McVeigh country, as well as Las Vegas, Nevada, which was in the 90s, a hotbed of skinhead organizing. Um, It was seen as like the um, halfway point between Los Angeles and Alabama or Georgia. Uh, Lots of young skinheads in Vegas in the 90s when I was growing up in a punk family. So I've been bitching nonstop about the Trump phenomenon, being like, well, if any of you listen to any 90s anarchists, or if any of you ever listened to somebody from Genesee County, Michigan, you all would have seen this coming. Um, of course, we right now, where I'm recording from, is, um, you know, like a 25-minute drive from what was for a very long time the Klan headquarters, right? Uh, Howell, Michigan, or the alleged Klan headquarters, the home of their... Allegedly. Whatever. The guy, right? Like a lot of clan, right? So um, peop- I always thought that we had kind of a unique, uh, whatever, nobody was listening to me. And I think Brie, who I'm going to let you talk in a second, I think <laughs> she's been in a, another position, but there's a whole other perspective on this going back a lot farther, right? Um, and we're going to talk a little bit of that, about that. We're going to talk about um, the Vietnam War. We're going to talk about um, militias and right-wing violence in the, nine- in the 80s. And of course, what we like to call the big three, right? Which is, let me see if I can get this in the right order. Um, Ruby Ridge, that Ruby Ridge, then Waco, right? Yeah. Ruby Ridge is what ninety two. Yes. Waco is ninety four, right? Ninety four. Like a year exactly before OKC. Oh. Right, and then Oklahoma City is 1995. So um, when shit like this happens, I'm like, yeah, I already know about this because I remember Oklahoma City. But we're going to really unpack that today, right? Um, and I still legitimately, you guys can disagree with me, I think um, I think nobody's talking about Waco, Ruby Ridge, or Oklahoma City literally right now. They're seeing this unfold in D.C. and very few people are like, oh, the 90s. So that's what I want to bitch about, and this is my show tonight. So um, before we do that... Does anybody want to spend 20 seconds, 20 seconds, explaining what happened last week? 20 seconds. Jonah, DC correspondent, what happened last... No, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, he says no. I know I know. Joe definitely wants to talk a lot about this, but we are definitely getting a here. lot of... We're definitely getting a lot of trickle of, uh, you know, different information, you know. Um, Ayanna Presley said that, you know, the panic buttons in uh her office were removed before the riots uh okay all right alex i'm gonna stop you here somebody's listening to this podcast in 30 years they're gonna be listening to this podcast and you, what the fuck are we talking about right now literally oh, what the fuck are we talking okay about? so what had happened was there was you know this election that oh, no. this guy okay. named too big, donald too big. keep going that that this guy named donald trump lost and Donald Trump has been like an insane, like psychopath, all right, all right, all right. Fine, sociopathic fine, fine. liar. Fine. And I get it. I'm a terrible host. I <laughs> basically, what had happened was he was like, "No, I didn't lose the election. Fuck, fuck all that." And then all of his Republican uh, colleagues was like, "No, you didn't lose the election. You're totally right." And they enabled this motherfucker and his supporters 
to, you know, like, cause a ruckus at the Capitol. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we have, um, you had that whole description and we didn't even get to talk about what, like, Q, um, what the fuck, what the fuck ever this new Facebook is, whatever. Our listeners right now understand it. What have we learned since we, our last episode about what's come out about this situation? What, what's the updates from our last, what do we, I have not read the news. I don't ever read the news. So what have we uncovered is, um, was this Donald Trump's plot? Do we have evidence of that? There was definitely someone fucking plotting. Um, there's, you know, evidence of collaboration with the Capitol Police. Uh, there is... What is that evidence? Um, well, they have uh, all the GPS for parlor people, which is, I okay. think, what you were referring to as Q the Facebook. Fake, the, yeah, <laughs> well, Q Facebook. I mean, I mean, like, several... Uh, I think one of these uh, Capitol Police officers have already been suspended. Yeah. Um, because, like, they were, like, holding the door and stuff. So, like, that and, collaboration itself was like, all right, you're done. And then... Okay, uh, and, so th- and, and there's the question of whether that was him being in on the plot or just trying to save his own skin by thinking, well, if I open the door, I'll release a pressure valve that affects me personally. Um, so there's that question. We don't, know, don't know. We don't know the exact evidence. We don't, we don't know the exact evidence, but there are dozens of other Capitol Police that are being investigated right now for collaboration. Um, and this is this is kind of what we debated last week and as well as on the recent stream, right? Because some of our listeners, um, to those of you listening at home, if you don't tune into our Sunday streams, you miss a lot of bonus fighting. Um, and some of our listen, listeners were kind of, I think, disputing the way that I had framed this, right? Which is, um, I think it was Brandon Jay who brought up the fact that... Um, you know, it looked like there, you know, wh- where is this coming from, right? Is it individual um, cops who like like these white supremacists or these orders from above? But it sounds to me like what you guys are describing is that um, the, if nothing else, this is what sounds important to me, is that like they're making the cops take the fall for this, right? The individual on the ground cops. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. that would, I think that makes sense. Does, is that, that, that believable that, that sounds to you like guys? standard cop behavior, yeah. <laughs> Well, not really, right? What are cops good at? They're good Defending at standing other with cops, each other. Yeah. yeah um, so, I again, I haven't been following this too closely, so I don't really know if this is. But it seems to me, and this is the point that I always, always, always make. It's really annoying, I know. But it seems to me like the state, the capital S state, and possibly the military, is um, wanting the public to believe that this is an issue of other police. Yeah. Right. So we have another situation where they are not standing together, which they often rarely do. Right. Like the, the military and the police are, as I always say, often at odds. They're not necessarily always on the same side. And it seems like um, that helps that helps them make it hard for us as the people to see what the fuck is going on. Right. Very convenient for the state. Um, and it seems like they're making the cops take the fall for this. Um, which to be real with that guy, it's like, yeah, do you, do you love white supremacy or do you want this guy to not shoot you? Which does make you a bad cop, but that's cops. So not only, not only like, is there being alleged like police involvement, there's also allegedly, it's being alleged that Republican Congress people, we're, we're literally touring some of these groups like taking these groups around the capitol mm-hmm. building for reconnaissance yeah and do you think that's and, true well the, that there was the one room? um example that came out just a few hours ago i think where i think the democrat who said that was like formerly uh intelligence community yeah but the the biggest By evidence the that they had a little more knowledge of the area than we originally thought um was that 
uh, they were able to find Jim Clyburn's office, which was where, which one of the, um, one of his aides had taken the sign down, like the, the plate, you know, let's say outside his office had taken it down as they were evacuating, but the white supremacists still got in and like ransacked it. Um, and there was no other way for them to know at the moment. That's what people are alleging. There's no other way for them to know who was there. Well, it was also like people were being found, like not where they were supposed to be. As like some like of the other stuff. Work there? Uh, yeah, like congressmen who were like not in their office, but like the you know, I don't, oh, I don't know, like what knew. collective those... verb to use, like mob. I guess is that sure. <laughs> Like, didn't go to the office. They went. To, I yeah. That's what I was using when I was being glib on Instagram. But that seemed rude on your podcast. Um, <laughs> you, she's new. That's cute. I am new um, and I am cute. Um, <laughs> but they like, you can be. This is a rude podcast. <laughs> they were showing up where they like didn't really have any reason to think they were going to be finding people. Um, mm-hmm. Which like it's not necessarily evidence in and of itself, but is weird. And the stuff with Ayanna Presley's office is weird. And the stuff with, we don't really have a lot of details about what happened with AOC, but that is also weird. Yeah. And I think that is also something that we should clarify on the show is that like, we're only six days out, seven days out from the event. And also there's a lot of weird things happening, but there's no like outright criminality that has been proved or even in some cases alleged. It's just things don't add up. And that happens a lot of the times during major, major events in political or you know, revolutionary history. Um, so there's so many conjectures that are flying around on, you know, social media and things like that. And it's hard to pin down what's true, what's like a third hand account of something that was true, but has been spun out. Um, it's for sure true that that guy tased himself in the balls and died. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, true. No, we're not disputing that. No one that. will take that away from me. And the, the deep state working. didn't do that, Alex. Don't no, worry, like, that first of all, that no, guy's... Snow- Snopes is working for... For the other side, that's what I no, think about this. That There's guy's no other wife, they would have. Snopes has been compromised. That guy's wife w- wasn't a witness. Wasn't a witness. Wasn't even fucking there. And has all the reason to lie to Snopes. She is not a good witness. She is not. A I agree. Reliable. I agree. Alex is really right about sources here. I want to pivot really quick to. I happen to have this passage in front of me that I'm just thinking about it. Um, this is from, and we're gonna probably reference this a lot tonight. There's a book that came out. A couple of years ago, what the fuck, 20, 2018, it's by a historian named Kathleen Ballou. Um, it's called Bring the War Home, The White Power Movement in Paramilitary America. This is one of those books that it's like, I swear to God, if you have not read it, then you do not know what is going on in America. It's like really one of the most crucial books written by a historian of the this century in my in my opinion and it's one of those things that's really critical right now and Bree and I are a little bit obsessed with it um and in this book we can talk a little bit more about it but it makes this argument that um various right-wing uh white power groups kind of coalesced in a certain way after the Vietnam War um for a, a few reasons but particularly because they felt betrayed by the white state and they had all been kind of militarized in certain ways um in Vietnam in particular, but also later, um, she talks a lot, of, a lot about them going as mercenaries to fight, for example, in Rhodesia. She talks about uh, Latin America as well, I think. Yeah. Um, and she, and also in the Gulf War. So she talks about all of these things coming together and a formerly kind of large abstract and state aligned group of right wing, you know, John Birch, the Klan, which she characterizes as pretty much state aligned until the 60s, um, which seems true to me. Uh, they kind of start coming together in 
um, an abstract but directed way under essentially um, what she kind of calls, I wish she had been more public about this. She's essentially claiming that beginning in the 80s, white power movements have waged a civil war on the U.S. government. That's essentially what she describes. And she discusses how this organizes and escalates through the 80s, through the events that end up um, uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, and then, of course, Oklahoma City. Um, And she truly characterizes this as a civil war, um, which is not how she promoted the book, but I think that argument is really captivating. Um, And these were anti-statist movements in a certain way, in the sense that they wanted to overthrow the U.S. government because they felt like it had betrayed its mission to serve white people, right? Um, Including, uh, they thought that Watergate, right, Watergate, Nixon, these things were betrayals. The way that um, veterans were treated after Vietnam, of course, is central to this, right? They believed that they went and they fought for the white race in Vietnam, and they came home and were abandoned by the state that was supposed to represent them that began to start instead representing minorities and women. And then also, um, this is this always blows me away every time I reread this. She, she claims that, you know, um, the right wing, the militant, um, on the ground right wing felt betrayed by Ronald Reagan for not living up to his promises in office, which is psychotic and incredible. Well, they wanted um, to so, assassinate Kissinger. That's my other favorite detail from yes, that book. Yes, they, they, they thought that Kissinger was, you know, a, centri- a centrist and, a, a, well, he was also a Jew. Let's be real. I, right. So, like um, that part is not a mystery. <laughs> So, um, we lost Jonah for a sec, so I'll just, I'll just keep talking. Um, anyway, so, like, yeah, um, so they, you know, they go and they fight for South Africa instead, etc. Um, but I have this page from the introduction, and, and, and that's an, in, that, that really, I think that argument is not the only argument you can make, and I'm interested in extending what happens after 1995 and really what happens after 9-11 with these people, but, um, she makes this point, and I want to know if you guys think that it kind of ties into what Jonah was saying about, um about how we're looking at all of this and everyone's like, everyone has been saying about this since the beginning of Trumpism. They're not organized or maybe they're secretly organized or we can't really tell how organized they are. Or they're all pawns, right? They're all pawns. Nobody, there's no real militants here. We talked about this in the last episode, right? Are these real old school preppers or are they bumbling idiots? I think the truth is probably many things, but there, here's a paragraph I think it's in usually both. <laughs> Correct. She says, this is what she talks about, um, this, this era. With the 1983 turn to revolution, the movement adopted a new strategy, leaderless resistance. Following the strategy, independent cells and activists would act without direct contact with movement leadership. The aim was to prevent the infiltration of groups and the prosecution of organizations and individuals by formally dissociating activists from each other and by eliminating official orders. Popularized throughout the underground, leaderless resistance changed recruitment goals, emphasizing the importance of enlisting a small number of fully committed activists rather than large groups of the less committed. So I think about that passage and the way she characterizes leaderless resistance in the ways that it like is and isn't what's going on now, right? So what do you guys think about that? Well, I, I think like when I read that, and especially when we're talking about more recent years, she definitely addresses this with McVeigh, but like... When we look at most of the mass shootings that have happened in the past 10, 15 years, they are all like every single time it's like, oh, this one mentally ill man. Mm-hmm. And, like, and then you wolf. like look into it for 30 seconds. You're like, oh, he was on all these weird forums and had like a mm-hmm. fucking apartheid South Africa flag and like Rhodesian mm-hmm. Grey Scouts merch. Like that's not isolated. <laughs> that's not one person acting like, there's clearly a community here that is, like, not being recognized as a formal community. 
Yeah, um, I'm going to pause you for a second. Okay, I'm sitting here talking. I'm reading a passage from a book, and, like, in the background, my meeting, Jonah just fully disappeared. I literally don't know what happened to him. He's gone, um, and he has literally been replaced in our Zoom meeting <laughs> with with our friend of the pod, uh, regular Joe. Oh, is that, was that what, um, that what really happened? Oh, that's, that's convenient. Literally. That literally just happened while, yeah, I, was, jo- while I was reading. Jonah's still missing. We don't know where I, he is. I, um, okay, so our DC correspondent has been kidnapped by Alyssa Slotkin <laughs> and Joe Joe Hardy um, on probably on Slotkin's payroll is definitely here on behalf of the CIA yeah. is here I, finally yeah, okay I had, listeners. I had the zip tie budget um, it's a very <laughs> It's a very extensive work. I I worked very hard and didn't work that hard, but I did I did put this episode together. I'm trying to impress Ben, and we're all getting ready to start this episode. And Joe's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna roll in about midway," and we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, sorry about that, guys." Great, great, <laughs> great. Okay. Um. Well, anyway, so we were just discussing. Um. Which you're not going to get any of this until later. It's going to be a surprise. This is my friend Bree. She's an expert for some reason on um, white radicalism. <laughs> for and- some reason, makes it sound like I am in fact Q. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Listen. Listen. She's our, she's a, she's Brianna, Brianna is a black hat who's been destroying the Republicans <laughs> from the inside I, be, by being so Q. Deep. Yeah. yeah. So you were there. You were, you were there in DC uh, in the sixth, right? I <laughs> threw the first brick. At the She's the antifa instigator. <laughs> the soup for my family for months. All right. Okay. So we were just debating. I read this passage from a book we're talking about about the history of this bullshit, and I was discussing um, leaderless resistance. And so Bree was talking about lone wolf shit, right? So, um, but the lone wolf shit, right? So this idea you get, like, a teenager who goes and shoots up something, and they're like, he definitely was not on Nazi Reddit. He definitely is not um, related to any Klansmen at all. He is just a crazy young man. And, um, but this book, you know, argues, among other things, that that was a tactic developed beginning in the 80s to make, uh, make it look like there are no leaders and make organization harder, not just to trace or prosecute, but see in the public, right? Um, which becomes, I think, really important in their mythology. Um, so it's not just that they're not lone wolves. It's that they sort of want to look a little bit more like heroes rather than people. They're not communists. So they're not following a commander, right? People, they're not supposed to present that image. Um, and so now everybody is like watching what's going on in DC and they're like, hmm. Was this planned, or is this just a bunch of, like, housewives? But there's precedent for that. Just 100,000 lone wolves together (laughs) at once, (laughs) all moving towards the same goal. I think the answer is a little bit of both, right? You know, there's definitely, like, some planning involved, and there's definitely, you know, um, some kind of just, you know, uh, spontaneity to this. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say... I would say I was a little like, I I would, okay. I would say that, um, I didn't really understand your argument until you laid it out historically like that. Like, oh, these people were like non-state, but now I'm like Mm -hmm. a little bit more understanding of where you're coming from. That being said, I still think something's happened to where it's like, I don't think necessarily that these people are like non-state and also like that thing where you're talking about like leaderless, the leaderless structure. Mm-hmm. We, we're we not seeing that, especially, like, when you're talking about, like, the Q community. These leaders are, like, they have a name for them. They're called bakers. They, like, take all the Q mm-hmm. posts and they, like, bake it up like, into content. And you have wait, bakers. I, I, didn't, I didn't know about that, really. 
Is no. Q an MLM? Yeah, yes, yes, it is. That's exactly, that's why, that makes, and that's, that's why it's that's not. the housewife key. There, okay. It's an MLM. That is the housewife key. Absolutely right. No, and and mm-hmm. and you want to know what? That's like that's how that's what this is. Like they're, they're more like monarchists, and they want their fucking mm. King Trump. That's like okay. So I'm gonna back this up. Um, so we talked a little bit about this argument about Vietnam and then the 80s and the 90s, um, and this position that essentially white power groups were holding a civil war against the state, but they weren't necessarily anti-statist, right? They wanted to bring down the U.S. government. Um, or parts of it, not necessarily the whole thing. And many of them had different motivations, right? There were people who wanted to ask, oh, no. fuck, am I freezing? Oh. God damn it. We're, 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 dro- we're dropping like, right, we're right, dropping right. like flies. Right, 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 right. That okay. was recorded. Um, yeah, that's true. So I just froze. Uh, my internet can't really handle a lot of things going on. Um, okay, so anyway, what was the last thing you heard? So... You know, the white power movement had a lot of different motivations. They, um, some of them wanted to establish a white state, right? Someone here or in South Africa or Central America or Australia or Europe. And, um, but they weren't necessarily anarchists, although some of them also were. Um, do we think that that's what's going on here? I was going to say it sounds pretty anarchist. So far, yeah. Everything Alex doesn't like is anarchist. I do. Yeah. I'm reading that leaderless. <laughs> I'm reading that leaderless resistance shit, and I'm like, that is anarchist. That's the people who are in my meetings when I'm organizing stuff, and they're like, mm, we shouldn't have leaders. I made I made a joke before I understood that like this is exactly what the like Republicans are doing, where they're like, oh, this is just Antifa. It's not actual Trump supporters who did this. Before, like, that happened, I we had, like, a, uh, a DSA executive board meeting the day of that, and I had made a joke to, like, all the other uh, people. I was like, I was like, oh, it's th- they're Antifa. I was like... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're going to get put in timeout. <laughs> yeah, but All that right. was before I understood that that's exactly. And I was just like, and now that, that shit, I thought that shit was funny. I'm just I saying. I mean, and I don't, I don't want to dwell on this because we've been through this and we already know. But the, we know that the main consequence of what just happened is that they're going to be throwing more actual leftists in prison. 100%. In, in holes in the ground, right? That's what's going to happen. That's the only thing that's going to come out of this. I don't even want to talk about it anymore because we all know that's what's going to happen. Um, but the anti-statism thing, right? I always like to challenge this because I don't think it's that easy. And I also don't think it's that easy on the left, right? Um, be, to be statist or anti-statism or anti-statist. But this was a bit of a contentious thing in our last episode. Well, I, b- 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 sorry, go on, Bri. Um, I, I was oh, just going to say that, uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to stop this cycle right now. I'm just going to power through. Um, <laughs> but I, before we move on, I just wanted to say that, like, you know, I agree with Ricky that, you know, they're going to put more leftists, you know, um, in the ground and, you know, use this to protect us against us. But I think the liberals are just equally, um, you know, I would say um, in the in the light of fire, because when they, when they were storming, storming that storming that office, um, I, I think that any any Democrat that was in there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if they would have would have succeeded, so this is and w- which just makes um, Biden's comments about you know we need a Republican Party, um, you know all the comments about them them be, them being against to fund the police. Um, it just shows how naive they are and how their their legislation is ultimately just going to um, like lead th- their own destruction. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Perhaps literally. Yeah. This is actually another good resonance from that time, right? So um, we want to see that the party alignments made sense with who was aligned with the right or the left in this. We left us know that Democrats were in opposition to the left in the 70s, for example, in the 80s. Um, and that was also true with the right as well. Um, 
I feel like, Brie, what were you going to say? Oh, well, I guess I think that, like, there's a distinction to be made that is maybe part of what's tripping us up between, like, being anti-state in general, which I think we could categorize as anarchism, and being mm-hmm. anti the current government, which is, mm-hmm. I think, what we're actually dealing with. Because um, the thing about these right-wing and white power groups, like, they're not trying to live communally for the most part like they're not trying to have like collectives or whatever like they're very pro they want authoritarian <laughs> minority rule exactly but That's they did they, they want, want. this here's a question about you again I'm, i tweeted about this but I re- it wasn't that long ago i rewatched the 90s documentary um hbo documentary about bill Riccio and whatever the fuck area nation that was um uh, skinheads usa which is one of my favorite documentaries i talk about this all the time because it was streaming so i watched it it's very good um but this is this is a good example of what i remember you know, I remember believing that the right did want to live communally, right? Or did they just want to live, live com- you know, so this this documentary is about this, like, known child molester, um, clan-aligned Aryan Nation guy. It wasn't talked about in this documentary, but it came out later, right? It, who would, he had these, like, base camps in the South where, and a lot of people did this in the 90s, this um, where they would recruit very young men, usually, um, runaways, abused boys who are white, and, you know, like, organize them into white power movements. Um, and they, you know, heavily, heavily relied on, on the, the concept of the family um, and building a nation together in their homes, right? They had, um, and they were living in these like communes, right? They had a lot of land and they, and there are other examples of this. Maybe, maybe now's a good time to talk about Ruby Ridge and Waco, well, right? There, there was, a, there's actually a pretty recent example of this in New Hampshire. Um, there were these people like moving to New Hampshire to start like a libertarian commune. Yes, New, Ham- New Hampshire, a, cl- a classic uh, militia state. And quite literally because like they couldn't do like they immediately ran into a collective action problem, which was there. Th- no one was like fucking cleaning up all the trash. Mm-hmm. So bears just started rummaging through the entire community. <laughs> mean, mean joke time. Noted Antifa warriors, bears. Yeah. So I, I was going to say so this. So they are Antifa. No, I'm kidding. We're not making any anarchists don't do the dishes jokes on this pod tonight. Okay, You're right, because so, it's not a um, joke. Clean your dishes. All right, all right. Damn I'm it. Not, all right, yeah, all right, all right. Okay, so here's the two, thing, the two things I want to say about this, and then I'm going to hand this off to we need a narrative of Ruby Ridge and Waco. Um, but uh, I think the two things I would say is that um, I think in most of these cases, you know, those of us who've lived anarchistly to some degree – you know that anarchists don't really have capital, but these people who are able to achieve communes, they have capital, right? That's what makes them the right. And so they have these like incredible advanced systems, right, on their huge plots of land where they can actually achieve this sometimes, right? They can achieve and they can build lives off the grid. They can really and they can buy privacy from the state sometimes. What what was um, that really weird spot in Argentina, or there? The, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think it's called Colonia Colonia de Colonia Digledad or something like that. There's some, some weird shit. Totally off if, my radar, if, if but we, I'm very curious. If we have Colonia Digledad. I'm assuming it's Nazis. Yeah, they're like former Nazis. Checks out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, so what exactly? Um, we had some listeners comment last week that they wanted more of the Ruby Ridge stuff. Let's talk about Ruby Ridge. What happens in 1992, and what happens after? Um, I I actually don't know anything about this stuff because yeah, I'm, I'm probably the youngest person okay. here. Yeah, I know I know, I know I know about Waco. I mean, I was Ruby literally Ridge. four. Yeah, Ruby Ridge was not. Yeah, I was. Um... To, to be clear, I remember Oklahoma City happening. I don't remember Waco and Ruby Ridge, Ridge happening. Oh, that that's how you can age me. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, All right. I, I can I can take some Ruby Ridge stuff. Great. Um, so I guess to put it in context, uh, Randy Weaver and his family, were they Christian identity specifically or just like a more broadly white Christian sect um, of That's a great question. That's kind of hard to... Because um, it, it were gets kind of in the weeds. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Me- meaning that they believed they were, their white supremacy was religious in nature is essentially what that means. Yes. So there, I mean, there's like a, a number of veins of Christianity that are obviously like very closely tied to white power movements. Christian identity is one of them. It's like one of the more intense ones. Well, um, you could go so all the way back to the transatlantic slave trade where, you know, yeah, they were like, like we, we're converting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, I mean, confler- y'all- we're converting these black savages to christianity we're doing okay, them so a favor y'all, y- y'all know how i think feel about christianity so that's fine but um yeah it is you know the ways that these things uh, really evolved in the 20th century to become explicitly like nazi christian movements yeah. right which still exist today right and there's just so many of them i don't know who they are um i mean i think you can draw a straight line from the confederacy to the nazi party i think that's I think you can draw a straight line from Jesus Christ to the Nazi party. Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right. I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. Well, I'm sure we will, we will come back to that one. <laughs> um, so basically, Randy Weaver and his family, he is dissatisfied with like the materialist American society or whatever the fuck, decides to move to Idaho, as one does, um, with his family um, and his guns. Uh, which happens to, and like the way I've seen this framed is like, it just so happened that their only neighbors were the Aryan nation. That's crazy. <laughs> I think we could probably safely assume that that is why they moved there. Mm-hmm. Um, so their family kind of is, hey, you know, socializing with the Aryan Nation people. I don't know if he was like officially a member, but they were like going to their events, meeting people, networking. Undercover cop thinks that he can turn Randy Weaver, sort of entraps him into selling sawed off shotguns, I believe is what the original charge is. Um, they do not succeed in turning him, which then is what escalates this whole situation. So they think that they're going to get this guy to like give them some names. They're not really trying to target Randy Weaver in particular because he's small potatoes. He's just some rando. But when he refuses to cooperate with them, it gets handed off. And there's also some stuff with like different um, departments like not communicating with each other about like what the mm-hmm. various charges are. So it's like the FBI and the ATF and the feds mm-hmm. and like none of them Always are really talking. Yeah. They're like not really talking to each other or coordinating what their plan is. All this of this is escalates. Like, <laughs> this is like, I'm sorry, but this is like uh, those guys who tried to kidnap the governor mixed with 9-11 all in one. Mm-hmm. Well, there would be no 9-11 or guys trying to kidnap Whitmer without Ruby Ridge. And it is, it is kind of the blueprint um, it was the blueprint for 9-11. Okay, all right, I'm going to back it up now. Continue. These we agencies not talking to each other all started with Ruby Ridge. Uh, yeah. So, all right, all right, go on. There's a warrant uh, for Reddy Weaver's arrest. He's supposed to turn himself in. He refuses. Marshals get sent out. And because no one is talking to anyone else or, like, figuring out what the deal is or how involved this guy even was in the first place, there is this family compound, Randy Weaver, Vicky Weaver, his wife, and I think they had two kids. Mm, I can't remember yeah. how many kids they had. I, I guess at, at least, least two, one of them was killed. Yeah. Um, so all of these federal forces are, like, converging on this house trying to get this guy to come out. There's a standoff. There's a shootout. There's at least, I think, one other adult involved. Besides just um, Randy Weaver and Vicky Weaver, I think there's like another random guy who's also involved in their having guns on their commune. The standoff lasts for like days. The entire community, which again is where the Aryan Nation is, shockingly is super enraged by this whole situation. Mm-hmm. 
the standoff escalates. Vicky Weaver is killed, um, which is like a huge scandal. One of the children is also killed. Um, I think the child like was maybe 14. I think he like had a gun, but that's not like everyone <laughs> sure, is doing yeah. a terrible job. So like, yeah, yeah. what if we just weren't shooting anyone? Um, and I believe yeah. eventually Randy Weaver is also killed. Did um, I, or does he go I to jail? Re- I, can't I can't remember, remember either. Can't remember. <laughs> Fuck. So, so the, the, there's a couple of key things here, right? And I, I want to take a step back and say like what people say about this, right? So like the people in the community, the Nazis are like <laughs> mad about this, but this is something the whole country watches and they see even like pretty like other more liberal people do see this as kind of a manipulated situation by the federal government where um bad people but people were executed on their property right that's yeah. what happened the federal the government executed is like very a family correct and a property of the federal government act uh, executed a white family a woman and her child uh, that literally did happen that is what ruby ridge is and so luckily for the right right so um this becomes very public and the way historians look at this i'm thinking of the the um the Kevin Cruz textbook about this era that came out a few years ago, it's called Fault Lines. They talk about this as really key in the, the Clinton era. Um, and it becomes a massive focus, because beginning with Ruby Ridge, that the state is going to have a, a war on terror. It's just the terror war on terror that they have for a few years is against um, domestic terrorists, right? So we talk now, we debated about this last week. We talk now about how maybe the state should focus on domestic terrorists or whatever. They did, right? That's what happened in the 90s. The state was extremely mobilized to target and track these people. And they fucked it up really bad and handed the right a lot of martyrs. White women martyrs. So many. Um, which, again, like, I think what the state did at Ruby Ridge was extremely fucking stupid. And well, like, it's a nightmare be- where it's like everyone is terrible. And that, yeah. that this is how I feel about Waco, too. It's like everyone's mm-hmm. doing a terrible job. No one is right, right in this right. situation and everyone is being awful. Um, so martyr number one, and this, I mentioned this last week, cause this is the point that you first made after what happened last week is that like, great, we have a white woman martyr again. That's, that goes fine every time when it's, the right has, yeah, um, when the state mur- executes a white woman on the right, that doesn't have any bad repercussions for us. The strategic that doesn't mobilize uses the Nazis or anything. white women for the um, white power. Is, is that what I was, was going to say? Is that Ashley Babbitt now? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn. She's our, she's our Karen Weaver. Karen? No, that's not her name. Vicky. <laughs> Vicky, Karen Weaver's the ex-mayor of Flint. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. To continue to, like, do, like, these, like, parallels to, like, you know, today, you know, yes, I guess you could, like, say that Ashley Babbitt is kind of, like, she, honestly, like, she would be the best martyr possible Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for, like, the, the right wing. And, you know, you're definitely seeing that. You you might be seeing that you know I I don't know I I I'm, I don't have a pulse of like the Republican people I guess. Well, but, have like, you seen this? I don't know if this has happened yet. I've seen some. I just of, hold like, on hold on. <laughs> like what what needs to be said though is that like I don't think that this matters that much because like what happened at the Capitol on January 6, twenty twenty one is extremely toxic for Republicans, and I think you see that with this like impeachment vote that happened today. Ten Republicans voted. For the impeachment. Right. That's Remember, never I told you, you before. have 20 seconds. You have 20 seconds. We're not talking about a pe- impeachment today. I'm just saying, this is, a, this is a very <laughs> well, toxic here's, thing here's for Republicans. Thing. Here, this event is very toxic here's for Here's the question that I want to remind everybody. At the point that Ruby Ridge happened, these people were not Republican Party aligned. What oh, happened absolutely. is that they, they were they were not, right? They were um, the right that did yeah, not this like, time, or trust but, the Republican Party. But this but time, what you happened? literally no, had listen. a Republican president who was involved listen, with though, this. This is what happened. 
trends after Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City is that for various reasons, Clinton being a dumbass among them and his consultants being just like insane people. Absolutely is addicted that to fucking up. The Republican Party changes as well, right? right? So the, the state in general changes in response to Ruby Ridge, but the Republican Party becomes more of an evangelical movement, more of a social issues party again. Um, many of these people, I'm thinking about, what about fucking um, Buchanan, Ray? What's his name? Pat Buchan- Buchanan. Yeah. Um, the radio guy. Who's the radio guy? You know. Um, <laughs> Gonna need to be more specific. Rush whatever. Limbaugh. I don't know. The, there we go, that one. Some of those other guys, right, they see this and they begin to strategize that this could be their base, right? And and their formation is kind of its own thing, right? How they, they become political actors. But this changes the nature of the right. Thanks, Bill um, Clinton. And and I think it eventually makes it – I think it takes a long time, but I think without these things, there wasn't necessarily a, a, a potential for a close relationship between the um, insurgent right and Republican Party without the fuck-ups of the federal government at this time. And I do, I do think there's some continuity there. But I have a thesis on this. I'll get I'll get to it, but I have a thesis. It's about 9-11. Okay. Just to, like, explain my little, like, one-liner right there when I said thanks, Bill Clinton, you know, like, Ricky's talking about the fuck-ups of the federal government, right? And she's talking about how Rush Limbaugh identified that, like, oh, this is a point of energy for us that we can use politically. Mm -hmm. Like, right when all this was going on, you had Bill fucking Clinton sign the Telecommunications Act of 1997, which allowed all of these motherfucking radio stations to be owned by right-wing cranks. And that's what gave birth to right-wing radio, which is literally you could make a direct line between right-wing radio to the fucking events to January 6th. That's sure, can- yeah, yeah. Although, again, I think 9-11 complicates stuff. So let's talk about Waco. Does Waco happen... So the government knows that it fucks up at Ruby Ridge, and it goes on to fuck up again in Texas in well, they a fuck very up similar at Waco way. as a... Like, that is actually about Jonestown. Okay, all right, okay. So I'm just gonna... Um, I, I, ha- I have to manage our time a little bit, but Bray's I, I, main <laughs> thing here is Jonestown. Um, and Jonestown... We have you know about what? 30 I, minutes left. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this right now. We'll we'll mention how this relates to Jonestown, which is um, another example of the U.S. government executing people. Um, I think we the, our people might want an, a Jonestown episode. I, I'm gonna Wait. tell you right now, listeners, you have never heard the Jonestown takes that are out there. You don't even you don't even know what you're in for. So if you guys want a Jonestown episode, Loki Jonestown was cool. Okay, guys, <laughs> sort of define cool. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Last, it's complicated. Last time I talked to Ricky about this, I talked for two straight hours. So I think that <laughs> in a bar, in a bar on Fat Tuesday in Hamtramck. Oh, that is... that's that's big time. That's big yeah, time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. In what ways? So we fuck up at Ruby Ridge, and then people are like really like mad at the at the state. In what ways is Waco then about um, Jonestown? Which at that point, what, what was that like f- fifteen years earlier? Yeah. About? It was yeah almost exactly because Jonestown seventy eight. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you mind if I briefly give my timeline of like how I know about right wing militias at all? Go off. Okay, please, so here it is. Here's please. the history we promised. Um, so but I, the reason I say it's about Jonestown, my entry into knowing about any of this, um, I am not like a right wing militia expert for no reason. <laughs> I got hyper fixated on Jonestown, and this is what happened. Um, but basically, in the 70s, right, we have all of these anti-state, like, kind of revolutionary movements that are specifically attacking the government. And they are mm-hmm. most publicly, they're all leftist groups. By the time we get to the 90s, they're most publicly all, like, right-wing white power groups. And from- I, w- 
I want to name some of those just yes. um, for the sake of our listeners. And also, Veronica yelled at me last time for not talking about the American Indian Movement when I talked about Palestinians and the IRA, right, in the 70s. So what I talked about last week was how the term terrorist emerges in the 70s to describe the Palestinians, the IRA in Europe, as well as the Basques in Europe. Um, and my question for you is, do you see that word floating around to describe... Um, Jonestown, do you, have you seen that word described, uh, describing America? I think it described the American Indian movement as well in the U.S., right? Which would be the other great non-state revolutionary movement at that time. Um, and a lot of obviously, so this is the post-Black Power era, but um, what year is the move bombing? 85. Okay, so that's a little bit later, but it's related to this. Um, yeah. What are some other left organizations? Um, um, well, I... <laughs> Uh, the American public has never fully recovered from the weather underground. They're like obsessed oh, right, with yeah. it. <laughs> um, something Shout about that just like really man. triggers the fuck out of a, a certain category of person. Um, so like that's ob- and like the same thing could be said about the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think they were targeted a little bit more aggressively. Can't imagine why. Um, AIM is another big one. Um, Nation of Islam also comes up around that same mm-hmm. time, which is like not really of a piece with everyone else. But it's funny to me because People's Temple and Nation of Islam like really did not fucking get along. Um, and that's the other <laughs> thing that's like interesting to me about People's Temple is that they were like very politically connected to all of these different movements and also mm-hmm. like in literal local politics in San Francisco. Yeah, and so so here's how I understand this, not to interrupt you again, but Jonestown comes out of the civil rights movement. It is it is yeah. founded by civil rights, Christian-aligned civil rights activists in um, black cities in the U.S., San Francisco, Indianapolis is where he gets started, right? Um, yes. Which were at the time, like, you know, big centers of black culture. Um, and so beginning very early, my understanding is that Jim Jones was targeted by the federal government for being a Which, civil rights activist and, and movement organizer, right? Um, well, what's bizarre about it is that they claim that they weren't. The FBI is- That's a lie. I, obviously. Um, that's why yeah. all of it is like impossible to make sense of because it, it's like, it doesn't have any- basis in like my understanding mm-hmm. of reality which like i don't know i feel crazy all the fucking time so maybe that's the <laughs> and, case and, um, and we've covered the panthers but i do because this uh, this comes up a little bit on the streams a few times but the other thing that the federal government and the public is mad about in the 60s other than civil rights is cults right so yes. they're already mad and and there's you start to get these weird right-wing figures whose whole thing is ending cults um which like we we later come to think of cults as being a right-wing thing but they were seen as like a left thing back then and you get these guys coming about trying to like save their children from cults and they're all grifters and fbi aligned right and manson you get manson right is a great example of that um so all of those things come together to create jonestown um yes i to loop back briefly to something that you mentioned earlier i actually don't think terrorist is really applied to people's temple all that often because mm-hmm. um, it, I like what is singular about Jonestown is that like it was sort of a self-contained catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't they weren't hurting anybody. Sorry that I said that Jonestown didn't hurt anybody. They weren't until they were. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very messy and very complicated and like also it's like fundamentally bizarre in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole incident was like so traumatic and shocking. I think like it was the largest mass American death up until nine eleven. Um, mm-hmm. Which is not something Wait, that say, I... Wait, say that again. Say that again so that oh, it was the largest... Mass it... American death um, outside of, like, a natural disaster up until 9-11. That's in... Do people know that? That's fucking No, insane. people don't know that. I, d- I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait, repeat that again? <laughs> so Jonestown... Alan still doesn't um, know that. <laughs> Jonestown was the largest non-natural disaster, and I'm guessing industrial disaster, although I'd have to run the numbers, um, mass casualty of, of American life 
until 9-11. And how many people – so what happens uh, – Just I don't, under 1,000. I don't necessarily – I kind of want to give my take on this, just the bare bones of what actually goes down in Jonestown. Because the way I describe it to people is essentially that um, – and I don't know if this is correct. The the feds are uh, – you know, you know, John, John, Jim Jones is getting crazier and more manipulative. But the I feds essentially – so much math. Yeah, a lot of meth. Essentially, um, are threatening and tailing him probably, and he gets pressured into going to South America. That's what happens, right? There was a lot of pressure on them in the U.S. It wasn't necessarily. I, it wasn't officially the feds, and the feds, I think, okay. will still deny that any of that is any of them. They are being targeted by local journalists. So the San Francisco mm-hmm. Examiner is like, "What is going on with this religious group?" That journalists like, again. <laughs> how dare they? Um, so like. Because they were so politically involved and they were like kind of a huge deal, I think at one point they were one of, if not the largest Protestant denomination in the country, mm-hmm. which is wild. And, and again, to think about. if people don't know this, black people, right? The majority oh, yeah, of the like members of people. So it's it's led by a white man, and it's mostly black poor people who learn to trust this man because he was involved in their churches and civil rights movement, right? I don't think he was like doing direct action. Yes, he was. A, he was before it got messy. A civil rights leader organizing people in multiracial coalitions in American cities. That's yes. what Jim Jones. Um, so, yeah. like using Christianity as like a lens and entry point to talk to people about like socialism and communism, and like using them sort of interchangeably. So it's like, yeah, this it's the same goal. What doesn't like? Why do we care what terms we use to describe it? Which like mm-hmm. makes sense as a tactical decision, but obviously a lot of people found very disingenuous. <clears throat> um, but they locally, people were starting to be like, what's going on in here? Like, they're really secretive. Like, people are abandoning their families and, like, cutting off contact. And also, like, what's going on with all the kids that are involved in this church group? Um, also, around the same time, Jim Jones was, like, making people sign blank confessions so that he could fill them in later. Like, that kind of crazy cult shit. Mm-hmm. And also, there is, as there always is, anytime that a cult falls into absolute flaming disaster there's a custody dispute so mm-hmm. there is a child the family again the capital every, f family it's gonna it's bringing all the cults down so it's mm-hmm. gotta be abolished um there is one of the kind of female um higher up people was married to the cult's lawyer which is like both a very mm-hmm. important and very dangerous position to have in a cult. Um, okay, the lawyer of a cult. Yeah. Joe, that's your that's your future. You're going to lead our cult. <laughs> or, I mean, you're going to be our lawyer. I'm going to lead it. It probably, um, pay, probably pays better. Mm-hmm. You, you know someone that's hiring? Till, you, till you, know, you, know cult, you know a cult I, I can go work for? <laughs> it uh, it uh, pays very... Uh, yeah, it pays something. Let's <laughs> um, so the People's Temple's lawyer... Um, his wife gets pregnant. Jim Jones claims it's his. She tries to leave the church. Jim Jones takes the child to Guyana. Um, mm, right. I forgot about the baby. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so he did. I want to clear the clear the record here. He did flee the country with a baby that he stole. Um, so when I previously said Jim Jones got to hand it to them. You, anyway. you, heard, you, heard, you heard it here first, guys. Ricky supports human trafficking. Um, but the the custody battle stuff is like how a lot of this escalates like that's what the warrant was for like that's why people Mm -hmm. are going into Guyana to like try and get in contact with Mm -hmm. Jim Jones to like extradite this child Um, yeah uh, from there it gets like increasingly complicated and messy and disastrous Um, the reason that I say that Waco is about Jonestown is because like 
as much as people were kind of weirded out by People's Temple and the fact that they up and moved to Guyana, which is not like super standard behavior for a mass Protestant movement in the U.S., um, it was felt, I think at the time, the idea was that like, we should have known that this was going to happen. We should have stopped them. Like we mm-hmm. should have done anything to prevent this. This is horrifying. Like these people were so crazy and we just let them go until it was too So late. you're saying that in spite of the fact that the public was like kind of mad that, about the Ruby Ridge assassinations, they were like, there's another cult thing going on involving uh, white children. So there was sort of this understanding that the public would want them to not do another Jonestown and they would Mm -hmm. want the federal government to intervene this time so we didn't have another Jonestown. Yes. Um, Although what they ended up doing was essentially creating another Jonestown. A different and arguably worse one. Yeah. So what they did in Jonestown, right, the, um, the... you know, we know about the Kool-Aid. And also, just disturbingly, the amount of Kool-Aid, uh, people love to fucking say the oh drink the Kool-Aid God. thing. How many people died, Brie? Tell me how many people died. A little under a thousand. I don't remember the exact number off the top. Damn, I didn't know it was and that they, many. In the 900s, Holy yeah. Holy shit. They, they commit coerced suicide um, because their cult leader is basically telling them they are under siege, um, which they are under siege because... Well, yes, specifically, this is one of... It might actually be the only assassination of a sitting... Uh, house member because uh, Leo Ryan gets sent down because mm-hmm. his constituents are like are you know he's from Northern California um, and I think also was a little bit prone to like doing stunt shit like he checked he was like in Folsom prison for a minute as like a un- like almost old timey journalist he, thing. Wasn't he a cult believer too? He was like aligned with the guys who are like where you gotta have to cults are a real problem for our teens or whatever. I think he was. I think I read Probably, that. Probably. Um, um, but he was contacted by the like concerned family members who had started organizing in more formal ways at this point. So he gets like approval to kind of go down and figure out what's going on. He goes, he meets with them. It actually kind of goes fine until the very end. Um, Cause one, Jim Jones is on like a truly unimaginable amount of meth. He's on the Judy Garland express where it's like a million <laughs> meths to wake up and then a million barbiturates to go back to sleep. And you just like, don't function at all anymore. Big relate. Do do, do we catch you on the up on on the up or the down, Ricky? Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I I gotta say, I'm like checking off my cult leader boxes already. (laughs) Wait, is this the first meeting? Are are we your first uh, (laughs) your first subjects? No, this this is meeting like um, I don't know, eighty, but you're just now invited. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that the only reason Ricky is friends with me so I can be the muscle on her eventual cult. I like yeah, I, I like black cherry Kool-Aid the most, He's going to take the full the fall for me. Right, so the Kool-Aid, right. So what happened, the Kool-Aid? The, this is where uh, this metaphor... I'm just going to yeah, explain this to our lesson, listeners who might be 19, right? This phrase, this drink true. the Kool-Aid, refers to Jonestown, which is, right, so... Um, there's this kind of standoff or whatever when the U.S. people from the U.S. come to kind of, like take down Jonestown or that's how they see it and Jim Jones has this prepared um really you should maybe recommend a documentary about this because just the whole there's recordings oh, it's really unnerving. I actually kind of I refuse think. to watch documentaries about it because I'm like in too deep in other ways and I, yeah. I don't like listening and the, the to the record, audio I've heard some yeah the audio so there's audio from this right I also He's did on. write that really strongly worded letter to um 
oh gosh, what's his name? The, the, the academic who like wrote a bunch of books and articles that I really like, but the cover is like the picture of the bodies. And I sent him a very right, long Right. So we've, we've seen it. this. This is so part of our pop culture that almost a thousand people die because they take this poisoned Kool-Aid because like Jim at Jones and his people <laughs> at gunpoint, right? And they're on these, there's these recorded, he's got recordings of himself over yeah. the speaker at the whole commune of talking these people into killing themselves. And then almost a thousand people die. And again, there is not that scale of mass American casualty until 9-11. So I think it's fair. I honestly think that we should be, we should, and some people do think about this as like as important politically as 9-11, not as important, but like up until that point, right? It's one of our 9-11s, Jonestown is. Um, And so that's what, and I brought up the Kool-Aid thing because you just sent me some fucking Instagram, I don't know, it was an Instagram fucking, what do you call that? It was from Complex. Where they're like, um, don't say ableist things about Donald Trump or whatever it is. I don't know. And it was then, like, like don't, don't make ableist jokes about the people who stormed the Capitol. And I'm like, okay, and then like, they turn sure. around. Yes, and, hello. And they, um, no, 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 no. Here's no, an infographic sort of about how the Capitol rioters are actually uh, neurotypical. No, 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 listen, I don't care. <laughs> Shut up, Alex. That joke isn't funny. We've heard it. Listen, I don't care if they say that, but this actual account turned around and then said the phrase, these people were drinking the Kool-Aid. These fascists drank the Kool-Aid, and I was just like, "Will I ever know peace? No, I won't. I will Every never time, be free. Like, I will be angry for that shit. You can't say that shit. I I have to defend the use of drink the Kool-Aid as a Lions no. fan. No, 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 as a Lions fan specifically, because being a fan of that team like puts you at higher risk of a heart attack. Drinking the Kool-Aid is it's not even the Bills, Alex. Calm down. All right, Calm down. Fine. Okay, I gotta say though, shout out to Brie, who is actually from Philadelphia. Oh, I'm, I'm wearing a gritty shirt that I got. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For so, nice. um, Hell yeah. Speaking of speaking of football, comrade um, gritty, comrade gritty. So yeah, right. Okay, so back to Waco. So we have another sort of cult this time, right wing aligned. Really, um, capital F the family. There are a lot of children. Um, and the federal government that is really amped up on domestic terrorism right now, they're like, we're going to we're gonna be a great neoliberal state and we're just going to execute all of them or whatever. They're like, we can't have another Jonestown. And so what do they do? They like, what do they do? I don't know. I've, I've seen the videos. Um, this one we have video of. Do you like, it's, it, I don't remember how long it lasts, but it's like an incredibly long standoff where they're just throwing like everything at they have in their book of like psychological torture at these people there was like blasting the bright lights and like playing dolphin sounds and playing like super long like loud music at weird intervals it was effectively a siege right no it was a siege siege. yep um so they're gonna do another ruby ridge this time it's okay because it's a cult and it's better have a ruby ridge than have a jonestown so what what actually ends up happening like what um why the one of the problems with Waco is that, like, it's a little bit tricky to figure out what exactly happened. Like, at some point, a fire starts in the building, and most of the people inside the building are trapped and die in the fire, except for, um, oh, what's his fucking name? David Korish, who shoots himself in the head. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many people die at Waco? Do you know, or roughly? I'm going to look that up. I don't. I want to say around 100. Okay. Because so it's it, definitely it, it, smaller in scale. So... You know, those are different things, but what and, – and my – okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and and put this out there. We're leading up to Oklahoma City, right? And that is what, like exactly a year after um, yeah, Waco it's it's on, on the, purpose? Yeah, on the day. So um, Waco and also I believe Ruby Ridge together extremely radicalizes 
people. And then we get, I don't know how much our viewers know, our viewers, our listeners know about Oklahoma City, right? But this is, like I said, the first, one of the earlier things that I do remember watching on TV in the news, right? Um, which is um, the bombing of a federal building um, by right, white supremacist, white power aligned militia people who had ties and roots in Michigan and did a lot of their planning here. Um, what, year, I don't, what year was that? 95. 95? Hmm. So, I don't even know if that needs more explaining, right? So um, the reason I wanted to, t- to talk about how important Waco is to, to um, Oklahoma City is that you, we had, you know, when we do these things, the way that we do things, the right is very good about symbolically organizing, right? They're extremely skilled at creating martyrs, creating legends, Speaking of, I know that you recently read the Turner Diaries. <laughs> I I only made it halfway through because um, oh, you, you sent it to me like a million years ago. And I was like, yeah. I will read this. And I was like, I don't want to fucking read this. Um, and then you asked me to be on the show and I was like, all right, it's time. Um, okay. So yeah, to clarify, like many years ago, I sent her this email that had a, P- a pirated PDF of the Turner Diaries. And I like put in the subject line, I was like, this is for like educational yes. purposes for those of us who study the the history of right-wing violence. I'm going to pull it up because it, I, it made me laugh really hard, but also was like, like correct years ago to do. This to you. <laughs> Um, because, you know, I, I have a question in my notes, actually. Are people still reading the Turner Diaries? Do people know what that is? Are the, is the right, are Q people interested in this romance novel about overthrowing the U.S. government? I Apparently think Q people it's... are reverting back to paganism, like Norse paganism. <laughs> they were always doing aren't, aren't that. They, aren't they shamans now from that, that one dude that, uh, is getting yeah, the, orga- yeah, that's getting the organic that food? <laughs> There was the presence was always there of that too. That's not necessarily new, right? Um, I think they want us to think they're not reading at all right now. That's part of the mythology of what's going on. The no, so I, I interrupted Bree though. Go ahead, Bree. Um, well, I, I was going to pull up the actual subject line that you sent this with me because um, it made me laugh really hard. I don't actually know the degree to which they're still reading it. I think that. Um, Oh, what I feel like Dylan Roof maybe was the last one I can think of that was maybe associated, but that might be apocryphal or me misremembering. Um, also, Ricky sent me this PDF with the subject line, a primary source on the history of racist organizing in the United States shared between two scholars of that subject. Yes, um, please, please, feds, don't Ruby Rich me. <laughs> it's like a primary source. I, Ricky's like, I communicated <laughs> with the guy who wrote this. You like, literally plan. don't know what a primary source means, Alex. You have a college degree. <laughs> that is what a primary source is. No, that's not what a primary source is. It's a text. It's a text that is produced by the movement, right? That's a primary source. That's what I mean. Um, <laughs> He's like, it's an interview I interviewed with. That, anyway, no, so it's, I, said, it's, a, it's a text. I said that you fucking got a text from a guy who wrote the thing. That's not an interview. <laughs> so this is um, the, right, so like it's the a, a key text, right, of the movement up until um, up until Oklahoma City. Um, and it was there. They were they were Turner Diaries people, right? McVeigh no, was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, he, I feel like the, the bombing, the federal bombing was like kind of textbook what they talk about in that book. Which really is like I can't I haven't read it, but my from what I've read in it, it it really it is like weirdly a novel and an instruction manual at the same time. It's like a lot of them going off about like why how the gov the federal government and this state wants to ruin white families and 
like even war it's like some upper tier nazi shit about uh how if you know when there's like no white people left there's no humans left and it's like literally the fate of humanity that is on the line for turning for taking over the u.s government to turn it into a white ethno state um or just bomb it i don't i don't know if they want to get rid of it or replace it and so um, somebody does they, it right they, are, they replace it with a white ethno state yeah, and so somebody does it, um, or they try to, um, in revenge for what the federal government did at Waco and Ruby Ridge. Um, so this is where I get a little fuzzy. He- here's my thesis. I promised a thesis on 9-11. I, the way that I tend to think about this is, and I think this is really key when we fight about terrorism, right? So the long history is that old white terrorism, the Klan, um, Things like that, the the great nadir and all of that in the 19th century, that was pretty explicitly state-aligned. They were non-state actors, but the Klan was a, essentially, like, parallel to the state. Um, state actors, and they were, like, the fucking sheriffs. They were, like, they were the mayors, yeah, mayors par- par- governors. Yeah, pa- paramilitary, right? Um and the way that these historians kind of describe it is that th- those people felt forsaken by the state that they had served for so long um, during the civil rights movement and then Vietnam, and they kind of break away and become antagonistic against the state, um, along with other things. There's anti-communism going on. There's just a million other things, and those things coalesce for a while. But I see where you're going with this. I like this, Ricky. They, and I they, like they this, were Ricky. treated. The truth is that once, by the 90s, these people were treated as terrorists by the U.S. government, right? They were targeted. This is where our energy was going. Not that we didn't also have things going on in the Middle East, but really, this was, the, this was our war on terror for kids in the 90s, right? And then there was also, like... Um, a lot of street fascism going on, which we didn't really get to, but this is the 80s and 90s had just like a lot of that. Really, it was a, it was a lived reality for people in the 90s, especially if you were like at all subcultural or urban Jewish. This like it was just a huge reality, which is the core of my critique that nobody cares about the 90s. It is that literally we've seen all of this before, and some people witnessed it, and the rest of you were just ignoring that. Right? That that's what they happened. Were watching Friends. Well, yeah, I, think the biggest, I think the biggest difference is, right, like, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about how, you know, and I think this is where you're going with your thesis, right, that 9-11 switched it back to where these sorts of people are state aligned. But like, kind of, yeah. um, but like, uh, what, what you see is, you know, like, um, oh, shit, I forgot where I was going with that. Let me elaborate so that you can maybe remember. Um, I fucked up my mic. Hold on. Okay, cool. Okay, so this is what I think. And I don't, I think this might help us understand the Tea Party, which is weirdly something I think people are just like not paying attention, forgot about. Oh, they're like, that was an aberration. But I feel like that mattered a little bit. Oh, Um, oh, oh, oh. The difference is, I'm sorry. The difference is, is that back then you didn't especially in the 90s when bill clinton was in office even though he was a racist piece of shit he was mm-hmm. like a democrat and he was like Our first black the republicans president. are racist pieces of shit and, he was at uh, first and then he stopped and, doing uh, that right famously he like kind of the third way and all that right Sorry. third way right and you know like you had what what you had was a, a different situation where it was like you had a person at the head of the government, at the head of the state, that was antagonistic to this movement, whereas Trump is not antagonistic to this movement whatsoever. Very fi- very fine people on both sides, Charlottesville. He sure, very, but- very, very astutely recognized that this was his base, and this was, this was his route to the seat to power of the Republican Party in the primaries. 
Sure, and but it's not just a comparison between him and Clinton. It's a journey from Clinton to him, right? And the beginning of that is 9-11. Oh, no. Um... Do you hear me? Am I here? We we dropped you for a minute. Okay, okay, right. So, uh, yeah, it's not just a comparison between the 90s and now. It's 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 really how do we make sense of how things change from then to now. I don't know. Oh, my God. Am I there? Ricky. I don't think that we have a really cogent understanding of how we get from 95 to Trump. Um, but my my instinct is to say that... 9-11 was, I mean, it was a lot of things. And I, th- I think we actually can't understate, um, we can't overstate, um, like, neoliberalism, right? And the kind of just general inabil- uh, political inability to sustain kind of meaningful on-the-ground movements, right? That I think undermines the right. But my, my sense is that um, the right had been um, radicalized uh, for a very long time. At, at yeah, this point, it's, yeah, it's every, at this point, it's every other sentence. Okay, so anyway, anyway, my I th- I'm losing my train of thought, but um, I think that not, what 9/11 does successfully is it kind of reroutes anti-statist organizing. I I think that our wars in the Middle East were in the beginning our war on terror, and then our wars in the Middle East plugged into an organizing model that had already existed, right? Um, And kind of picked up on what the white supremacist movement had done and really successfully realigned it. Um, And I think it makes sense, right? Even though we did have the the Gulf War, I think that the white power movement was disenchanted with the state because it was not bombing enough brown people, right? And I think that the wars in the Middle East in the early 2000s successfully... And and we see this even with... um, with the the ops from the CIA, right? So in the '90s, Columbine. We didn't even talk about Columbine. Rip. Um, they call what we talk about the fucking um, trench coat mafia and kids who were kind of um, misdirected by violence in the media. So what does the CIA do? They take over violence in the media, right? Um, in order to route people's energies and the energies of white supremacists into joining the military, right? Um, and, and I we saw I that te- at the Capitol protest or riots I, too. I think that there's something to that fundamental part of a lot of this is the switch after Vietnam to an all volunteer military Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. allows a lot of weird ideological shit to start solidifying Mm -hmm. itself. Um, Because now you can't ever critique um, what the military is doing because they are only people who have volunteered and how dare you disrespect their sacrifice. Well, at the same time, like the VA is perpetually underfunded because as mm-hmm. much as all of our money goes to the defense department, it doesn't actually go to the VA. So you have this group of people who have like have some legitimate grievances, um, who are like a very useful prop to just constantly funnel money, which doesn't go to the VA or to the actual volunteer military, which is all poor people. It just goes to like fucking Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the military is a fucking enigma, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like a very fucking you know, uh, malignant force in the world. And just, just like what you were saying, right? Like the, the, um, the like volunteer aspect of it kind of lends itself to like, oh, well, you're going to get more right wing people. That being said, though, Mm -hmm. also, you're also going to get more poor people. Mm -hmm. And like the military by far is like the most diverse segment of our population. Yeah. 
it's okay. like one of the only integrated parts of America. And I think it's useful to think of the military as a workforce in that sense. Increasingly yeah, and so. they are we using get... it to union bust the VA so that they can send more money to Ex- the princes. Exactly, right? So what is what is a drafted army but um, that's kind of communist, right? Um, and so you have to have a volunteer army that you treat like a workplace, like an office, that you get benefits, right? We think of them as benefits now rather than actually just like state services, um, which I think is a shift. All right. So I I think there's something to that with 9-11 that I think might be more important. Maybe it's obvious, but I think it's more important than we acknowledge. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, Obama. Obama. Joe, let's argue about whether or not we should call these people terrorists. Okay. Be (laughs) Be careful. They're absolutely terrorists. I, um... Uh, something that's an open question, I guess, to everyone is um, Clinton, you know, was was cracking down on these on these, um, you know, right wing groups, uh, much like Ricky was saying. But I guess I'm curious how you all think Biden's response will uh, will be, because it, he has to do he has to say, at least say something. Um, but some of his rhetoric, it seems it seems to me that he may be even more right wing than Clinton, which is. Mm-hmm. Like a a terrifying you know prospect, um, you know, right after the, the people like Matt Gates and Ted Cruz and you know Andy Biggs and all these people um, have ignited this mob to kill um, you know to storm the Capitol and kill Democrats. You know, let's just be real. They you know they weren't going to their mm-hmm. to, to kill Republicans. Um, the rhetoric is yeah, still they, they did they did want to hang my some Pence. of them some of them yeah some of so them fucking funny but you know by and largely you know that's what that's what their their goal was you know stated you know they bought merch for it um, mm-hmm. so the rhetoric after that with with Biden is that you know. We, this is not who we are. We still need to unify. Um, you know, there we, we we need a Republican Party. I think was the you know what he's what uh, what he said. So I'm just curious what you what you think the actual response would be. He's a dumb little bitch, and he's just going to put anarchists in jail, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to get disappeared at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. Like Joe Biden not putting or giving Republicans any sort of space you know, to say that this is not me is just political malfeasance. Like, forget about, like, the morality or just, like, the how disgusting it is that we just basically had, like, you know, a white supremacist riot at the Capitol. White supremacist insurrection at the Capitol. Like, forget about all that. Just, like, politically. Politically. Like, to to not just connect that completely with the Republicans is malfeasance. Listen, I just had this thought, like, I think that, you know, the next big thing that's really important is obviously Obama creates a way for people to ally with a state against the state for white power reasons, right, which is what the Tea Party was with the state against the state, right, and that kind of recharged the Republican Party, but what a fucking bad, like, that's, he was Obama's vice president, and he's like, the Tea Party who, like, hung racist cartoons of my alleged friend Barack Obama, for whom I can, to whom I can thank, right? My being here at all. What a fucking loser. I got a question too. I got a question. That's my defense of Obama. I got a question too, like before we wrap up. And I think this is an important question. Um, what, and this is mostly to, uh, Brianna because she's our expert. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, what do you guys think? Was the white supremacist movement, the far right movement, the neo-Nazi movement in this country more organized Today, mm-hmm. than it was in Char- Charlottesville. 
Well, I, like, I think that it's uh, it's always been organized. It's just the police force. I think that, uh, you know, I think that the, the organization, um, you know, is has been pretty much, um, so, you know, sort of hiding in plain sight with all these pu- public lynchings. And what we're seeing now is sort of a coordination between, you know, the, the more organized side of white supremacy, which is the state, which is the police, um, you know, and we saw it in, in D.C. with the Capitol Police, D.C. Police, FBI, you know, all of these different organizations, um, all coming together to drop the ball at the exact same time when, um, you know, the, um, the, you know, the, the white riders, the white, you know, terrorists you know came into the uh came into the capital um so and this is very this is how it's how it's worked um since the inception of the country um the the state working together with uh, you know even back in the day the state would um you know enlist you know private uh, slave catchers you know we move we moving on to post civil war um you have uh, the kkk forming in uh, response to uh to reconstruction um you know, so this is just, you know, just um, the 21st century version of that. And I think that um, with news coming out of um, uh, Ina Presley's panic buttons were ripped out mm-hmm. before the coup even started, um, someone sh- um, apparently told uh, the the mob where Jim Clyburn's office was, even though it's unmarked and he had an iPad stolen. So the uh, the organization is already there. It's been there for years, and we're start- starting to see the fruits of it because it, there's, a, there's a 2006 report from the FBI that um, white supremacists were infiltrating law enforcement. Um, and if, if you... The memes. Yeah, and if you um, remember the uh, Dallas shooting of... Um, um, of those police officers years ago, um, the internet sleuths had pulled up the um, the Facebook of one of the um, officers and th- that that was slain. And of course, he has an iron cross uh, tattooed on his <laughs> finger. Um, so, you, as you know, it turns out, some of those who were in forces are in fact some of those who burned crosses. <laughs> you know, when when Ricky invited me I, on, the number I, of times I, cops have head bobbed to that at a protest surely yeah. killed me instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, or there was um, at the Philadelphia at the at the DNC, um, there was a, a famous picture picture of a cop circulating. Um, uh, he had a full uh, like a, a sleeve tattoo, um, the white white supremacist symbols. Um, so it, you know, th- these uh, they've used the police force to organize for year, you know, for years. And you know, right now we're just seeing sort of a, a melding of these these two separate factions. Um, so you know, which is scary, but it's also it's also yeah. hopeful that they're no, fighting no. each other. Also, one, so one thing, <laughs> it's completely no, chaotic. Like, you, you, what you said, like about how it's like the organization is kind of like using the unorganized right now, is something mm-hmm. I actually heard on the QAnon Anonymous podcast, where they're like they are basically talking about like they're really really concerned about like these militias basically just using the QAnon people as like cannon fodder. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, what, yeah. that's obvious to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What'd you say, Brie? I, I think, like, my read on what happened last week is that, like, especially with the stuff that's coming up about Ayanna Presley's office and some of the other kind of, like, stuff that, like, seems really off that would imply that there was, like, some kind of premeditated Apparently the planning. FBI was, like, ringing the alarm the entire week beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the reason they did not succeed in, like, you know, live streaming executions is actually because there were so many people there who are not orged up like that. Like 100%. straight up yeah. randos who just like were along for the ride, I think actually ended up being what 
thwarted their goal now that it is becoming clearer and clearer that there was a goal and that there was like planning and orchestration of that goal like the reason it didn't happen at least as far as i can tell because the only way that it makes sense to me is that like everyone who was just fucking there and like being stupid and like didn't know Mm -hmm. how to act Mm-hmm. at a protest or in general well, at all like yeah. is i think that ties back to the passage i read earlier right so i think there has been they have somewhat abandoned to some degree the really militant version of the leaderless resistance which is mm-hmm. that they are opening and trying really hard to recruit less organized less disciplined people um and there are times when that's useful for example for throwing people off the lead right um and confusing people about how the structure works but obviously like it also doesn't <laughs> You know, you are going to have undisciplined people at the at your thing, then you're not going to succeed in hanging Mike Pence. No, yeah, Maybe. there was Can clearly two imagine? types of. There was clearly two <laughs> types CNN. of people. There, <laughs> yeah. was, like the two types of people that were there were like the commandos who you know were the ex military commandos. Yeah, uh, the off the cops. <laughs> Off-duty mm-hmm. cops, all those people in the, like, uh, like military garb. Like, there were those type of people who, like, were planning shit. And, like, mm-hmm. knew the fucking outline. And they had fucking maps of the tunnels mm-hmm. and shit. There were those type of people. And then there were the selfie people. Who, mm-hmm. they, you know, they didn't know what the fuck to do. So, when they got into the capital. So, what did they start doing? They started creating content. Doing live streams and selfies. Like, that's what mm-hmm. you saw. That's what you mm-hmm. saw. Like, and they, I think they knew that that was going to happen and wanted some of that, right? But um, so I don't necessarily think that this is, is out of their control. But yeah. um, and that and goes I, back I feel, to the MLM point I made earlier, right? Yes, the housewives. I do, I do think though that that is going to lead to even more factionalism. I think that it's impossible. It's going to be impossible for them. That's to why impeachment is good. Unity. That's why impeachment uh, yeah, yeah. is good. Right. And, okay, so y'all, I forgot, speaking of off-duty cops, I forgot to get a little bit of a report. Um, last week, we talked to Jonah about what's going on, what has been going on in D.C., and I really liked that. And we have Brianna here on the ground in Chicago. What can you tell us about what Chicago police are up to before we close out? Ben is going to kill me for the length of this. He's going to... <laughs> He's going, Ben, Benjamin are, is going to disappear me. <laughs> oh, no. Um, well, the president of the FOP, who is a noted lunatic, that's the Chicago um, police union, got in trouble for, like, during the storming the Capitol, being like, these people are good and they're being correct and we support mm. them. Um, which, like, even for a cop union was kind of like, are you for yeah, real right d- now? Yeah, like, d- 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 shh. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Sit this round out, brother. Yeah. Like, what are you Don't say it out loud, trying to it. do right now? Um, chaos reigns. Uh, I guess, like, what's been strange about Chicago, especially compared to some of the bigger, like, more public um, headline protests, like, Portland is obviously in, like, a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's notable that, like, Oregon has long been a white mm-hmm. power stronghold. Like, that is mm-hmm. where these people fucking go. Um, so it's definitely, I think, notable and probably not an accident that that is where the crackdown on protests has been um, arguably the most intense. Um, but I think even compared to like New York and D.C., Chicago had less or at least less frequent, like really extreme police violence. Like mm-hmm. I say as someone who's like absolutely traumatized. Um, yeah. And, like, Chicago police. Really, like, yeah. My whole personality is different now than it was, you know, even six months ago. And that's fine. And we're rolling with it. But. I think what's been strange for us, and I think especially for the people who have been organizing in Chicago longer, is that it's 
it's so inconsistent. Like you really never know when you go out what you're going to be met with, which makes it hard to plan appropriately. Like there were definitely days I went out when I was like ready for shit to go down. And I'm like, you know, you prepare yourself emotionally, you prepare yourself to like receive violence, um, just partly because of my own temperament and also because of like, you know, good etiquette of like, I am not going to start shit with cops, but like if shit is started at mm-hmm. me, like you got to put yourself in there. Um, and like being really ready for that to happen and then having like a totally uneventful chill March. And there have been days where I'm like, oh, this is like a march that's led by student groups and it's like a bunch of young like the oldest organizer is like 22 like i've worked for them before yeah i'll go i'll go march and support them whatever and then we get like in a combat zone with not kettled like not <laughs> expecting that to be happening and i i'm allowed to steal valor because two different veterans have told me that i'm allowed um <laughs> yeah we i'm allowed to refer to it as combat <laughs> not to be a bitch we do not respect the troops on this podcast i know we respect our troops out there protesting yeah, those yeah. are our troops <laughs> we respect you um but yeah and, and jonah said something very different last week right he was talking about the predictability of dc police right mm-hmm. they lead you they kettle you they do xyz right um I, I wondered if there was something – my sense – maybe I just know more about Chicago history than other places, but Chicago has sort of a really unique geography of policing and, like, fraternity of policing, right? They have, like, yeah. whole entire ethnic neighborhoods where that are cops. The ethnicity is cop, right? Um, yeah, and they, they would not let us march there. Yeah. They brought yeah, in a bunch of sanitation uh, what, trucks. Green, what is that? That's like, yes, that's like yeah. Staten um, Island in New York. <laughs> yeah, much. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very similar. And they have a very long history of being that way. Um, Chicago has a very, very intense and like almost incomparable history of like racialized neighborhoods, yeah. like to the point where there was like check on black violence, right? There were like entire like battles of just check people doing lynchings, right? Um, yeah, it's that's a fun like, timeline of like when various European identities become white is you just like check when they were rioting about their neighborhood yeah. being integrated. Like that's when you get to flip over. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I think it, that's you know interesting. Um, all of this because um, a lot of people don't know that the North, um, the the, the ever tolerant North, is actually much more segregated than the South is. Mm-hmm. Like oh, the absolutely. metro areas, uh, and I believe right. it, it, it flips all the it flips all the time between Detroit. Um, metro area, the Milwaukee metro area, and I would say the Chicago metro area as mm-hmm. being the yeah. most um, segregated areas in the entire country. Um, and if anyone who lives in the Detroit area knows exactly like where the line yes. is, you know, like. <laughs> and so. speaking of that, like kind of to lead to our close, I was thinking maybe we in a couple of weeks we can do a, another revisiting of this issue and think closely about Detroit, get a Detroit. Um, I mean. Joe's from Detroit, Detroit area, uh, but we can maybe get a correspondent because um, I really think thinking about the uniqueness, like what makes these places like policed and racist? What are the histories? Brie was talking about Portland. Um, DC has its own kind of history. And um, those are the stories I want to hear. And listen, we're all online now. Like everybody's an online friend. There's no reason we can't get a Portlander on our Zoom call in our next episode. I know a Portlander. Um, I know a Portlander too. I'm an ex-punk. I know a lot of Portlanders. Listen, okay. My Portlander so the other is thing, a co-chair of the Portland DSA. I was about to say we're, we're, uh, le- I was about to say, we're leftists. We should all know at least like two or three Portlanders. All right, my all right, my all right, Portland person is co-chair of the list DSA. Let's list right now to prove we're not informants. Let's and also right, the BDS right, representative okay, of North so America. <laughs> listeners, listeners, do you want to do you want to hear from Alex's Portland friends? Do you want to hear in the next episode about me going off about the tea party? Because I feel like maybe we don't talk I about the tea party. I tried getting her on the podcast. She's too cool for us. Okay. That's that's not saying much at all. 
Do you want to talk about Detroit, <laughs> listeners? Just let us know. I Listen, listeners, I am in charge today, and I am sick of you guys, like, not posting and commenting about our content. I don't do this just for you. I do this to start fights online, and I never get that. Yeah, I told yeah, I told Ben the same thing. I was like, we need more haters to drive our we, – like, we don't have any right-winger well, – we had that one Trump voter in our chat once. It was like – Yeah, you guys that? have to stop yelling at me for saying stuff. Like, yeah, I'm okay. trying to so do – the, fight, the fights are only with Alex. I'm pulling up um, – <laughs> I'm going to just pull up my list of ways to remind you guys to get involved and send us hate. We want hate so bad. I can't say it enough. Um, so I want to thank all of you. This has been kind of a wild ride. We lost Jonah. He was disappeared. We was replaced with Joe. So we have Joe and Alex here, our regulars. My friend Bree out of Chicago has um, really – we should have you back another time because something tells me it might be relevant. I don't Something tells me it might come up again. I um, would hate to see what makes Jonestown more relevant. Maybe maybe even next week. January 20th, <laughs> mark your calendars, folks. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Not that you don't have other things to contribute other than just like deep knowledge of militias. Um, and if you think I'm so Ben gave me a list that says, thank our listeners. So thank you listeners. Um, and he also tells me to tell you to su- subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I don't know what those are, but that's what it says on my list. So subscribe to the pod. Stitcher, we have a Patreon, Spotify, um, the Apple podcast thing. Probably we stream Google on Play a lot of Sundays. She basically okay, said all of them. Yeah. Yeah. We are on Twitter, SOTR pod. Um, we're on Facebook as State of the Revolution. Um, is, our, is our parlor I mean, account still? Oh, shit. Our, our parlor uh, account's down, isn't it? Damn it. Damn it. We we, we we lost the toasty left. Oh no! <laughs> Any last words? Not the toasty left. Um, my last words are that I want to say that the Tea Party is also Trump because he started the birther shit around that same time. That's also mm. integral of how the Tea Party starts rising. I'm ready to historicize the Tea Party. Yeah, what I I said some like I said some like uh, CIA Noam Chomsky type shit on the last stream. And I just want to be, like, very clear. When we're talking about, like, this fucking... Honestly, I would say it's, like, the same as 20th 20th century fascism. When we're dealing with fucking this shit, right? Like, maybe the best route is getting at the Republican Party. I didn't mean just, like, oh, if we get rid of the Republican Party, everything's fine. No, I'm a fucking communist. I believe in the proletarian revolution. That being said, when we're talking about this specific thing, like this fucking Nazism, it is the Republican Party. I want to make that clear. Okay, there we go. When even we're saying that there's a difference between Republicans and Democrats, you know that it's pretty bad. It's bad. Folks. I don't want to. I don't want to say that. All right, that's, that's a good one. Thank you, Alex. That's a good closing word. Good night, everybody. Good night.